This week's parasha is Parashas Lachlacha, where we are introduced to Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu, we know, was the Amara Chesed of the world. The Midah of Avram was Chesed. He was a Gaimel Chesed. He was the embodiment of Chesed. And the biggest Chesed that Avram Avinu did in his life with the world is giving us a Messiah of Emunah. The Pasuk says in the middle of the parasha, Vehemin Ba'ashem He believed in Hashem, he had Emunah in Hashem, Rashi understands that to mean that Akrishparchu considered it a tzedakah. It was a favor, it was something righteous that Avram Avinu had a munah and that he in turn spread that amuna throughout the entire world. What I want to talk about today a little bit is what is amuna? It's a very delicate topic and it has to be understood properly. And I hope that I'll be able to explain it properly. And if I don't, then it's it's dangerous. It's a dangerous topic. But I feel that it's important in this dar, especially at this time in history, to get our emuna clear and to try to understand what it is and how to attain it and perhaps what to avoid in the process of trying to attain emuna. First, the definition of emuna. How do you define emuna? What does it mean to believe? The mitzvah, as the Rambam says it at the beginning of Yisaita is, to believe that there is a God that always was there, who mamtsi kol nimtza, and he created everything in the world. Everything was formed from him. That's the site of Amuna. Amuna basically is a belief that there is a God in the world, that there's a Bayre Umanik. Hakarish exists, he created the world, and he continues to run the world, to manage the world, to oversee everything with Ashkacha Pratis. That's the basic side of Amuna. Rav Shach has a well-known piece in his Sefer Avi Ezri. And he says, I don't really understand what it means that there's a mitzvah of emuna. I know that people call it emuna. The Rambam himself calls it emuna in the Sefer Av Mitzvahs. But why is it emuna? Emuna implies that there's a leap of faith. It's faith. It's a faith-based religion, meaning that I don't know for sure that there's a God in the world, but I believe that there might be a God or that there is a God. That's emuna implies that there you have to somehow jump into that belief. Emuna, I believe, but it's emuna shlema, but it's not yidiyah. It's not that I know for a fact that there's a rabbi shlema. I believe that there's a rabbi shlema. If I know, I know that there's a safer in front of me. I don't. Be, I believe there's a safer in front of me. I know it. And so Rav Shach says, why is the mitzvah called emuna? It should really be called yudia. Why is it called? Why should it be called yudia? 
So Rav Shach says, because at least to me, it's a Dabr Pashut and Barur and Emes that there's a Rabbi Nishlelem in the world. Rav Shach does not go into this Parichas in the Aviezri, but in other Svarim, Rav Shach brings, it's brought from Rav Shach, how Rav Shach used to spend a lot of time proving on a very, very basic, fundamental level, proof that we probably all heard here today, but it's not even a proof. Again, a proof implies that you need a proof. It says, let's say I, a, a person would go into a desert, says Rav Shach, and he would find a beautiful palace in the middle of the desert, and he would open the door of the palace, and he'd go in there, and it would basically be full, a table would be set, and on the table, there's a platter of herring. That's Rav Shach's mushal. And the herring is perfectly salted, and it's perfectly cut up into slices. Every slice is the same exact size. And there are toothpicks stuck into every single slice of herring at a right angle, perfectly aligned. Everything is just so. And so you realize that there must be an owner of the house that arranged this. But then a guy comes over to you and you say to him, wow, there must be a balabais that really is planning a party or a kiddush or something here. And the guy says, no. Says, you got it all wrong. So there's no owner of this house. has no owner. It's ownerless. Okay, so who set this up? Nobody set it up. What do you mean nobody set it up? So no, no. What happened was is that there was a, a school of fish and they were swimming a couple of hundred miles away. And basically there was a big wave that came and they, they basically all flew out of the water, all these fish. And there was an electrical wire, like a grid. And basically the fish just happened to fall on these electrical wires and they all were zapped at the, just in the same equal amount, equal, equal distance. They were, and they fell on the ground on a, there happened to have been plates on the ground. And they fell just perfectly on the plate like that. And then there was a, uh, another a boat passed by, and it was full of salt, this boat. Bags and bags of salt, and a wind came and blew the salt just perfectly on these pieces of herring to salt them just so. And where the toothpicks come, the toothpicks, there was a, a group of guys that were sitting around schmoozing, and they were all had toothpicks in their mouth, and a wind came and blew at the same time all the toothpicks, and they all landed just so into the piece of herring, exactly perfect. And how did it get here? Well, that's not a problem either, because a, a big wind came, and like a frisbee, all of these plates of, of herring just came and went and whisked through the air, and went through the palace gates, and, and, the, and it opened, and it landed on the table, that's where the herring came from. But there's no balabayas. There, there's no one did this. It's just completely coincidental. It's random. What would you say to this guy? Honestly, you'd say, you're a Meshuganah, please stay away from me, and the men in the white coats will be here soon to pick you up, I'm sure. It's not shayach, it's not, I mean, you have to be a little rational. It doesn't make sense. So if Shach says, let's be, after all the proofs and evolution, all this wonderful stuff, Lamaisa Guret, it doesn't make sense. There has to be a Balabira. There has to be somebody that made all of the sun and the moon and the stars and the human body with all of the capillaries and all of the arteries and all the vessels and all the heart and the kidneys and the lungs and the liver, all pumping in perfect sync without any flaws. It's not 
possible, says Urshach, to believe anything different than that, than that there is a supreme being in the world. It's not emunah, it's yediyah. The mitzvah should be called yediyah. You have to know that there's a God, not emunah. Emunah implies that it's like almost like you're conceding to the maskilim that there is a, there is a doubt over here. Call it yediyah. And he says, the Ramam really does call it Yediyah. The Ramam starts off, Yisaydeh HaTayra, Yisaydeh HaYisaydeh, Ramon HaChachmas, Leida, Sheyesha Matzirishin, to know. And the Pasuk says, V'yadata HaYayim, V'ashevaysa Levavecha, Ki Hashem Hu Alekim, you have to know, V'ashevaysa V'yadata HaYayim, Yediyah. You have to know that there is a God, Ki Hashem Hu Alekim. It doesn't say, believe that there is a God, but yet we all call it a munah, and the Ramam himself in Hilchas, in, in the Sefer HaMitzvah says that the mitzvah is lahamin. What is going on, says Rish? I don't get it. Why is there a mitzvah to be mamin? It should be a mitzvah called Yediyah. Now, we might all be sitting around the room not so convinced, but Rav Shach, in Rav Shach's mind, it was such a davar pashat. Rav Shach was on such a madrega that to him it absolutely needed no emuna. It was pure yidiyah. And that's why Rav Shach had this question. Maybe none of us in the room had the question because perhaps we also are not really. Maybe for us it is a little bit of emuna. But for Rav Shach it was such a davar barur. It's such a davar pashat that there is a rabbinic in the world and that there can't be. It's not possible. There is no other option than the fact that the rabbinic exists and he's bari romanigas that to him it was pashat, it was idea. So if Shach says, I had this question, it was kicking around in my head for many, many years and finally I went to my rabbi, to the briskarov. This is what he writes in the Abiezer says, and I asked the Briskarov this question, and the Briskarov says, I was bothered by the very same question. So I went and I asked my father, Reb Chaim Brisker. And this is what Reb Chaim Brisker told me in answer to this very basic, essential question. Reb Chaim told me, my father told me, that you're right. Whatever a person's mind can comprehend and can prove to himself in a very simple and evident way that there's a Rabbi Shalom in the world, that's Yediyo. That's Leida. That's Vyadata Yoyimah That is a mitzvah of Yediyo. That is Nechlo in the mitzvah of Yediyo. When we speak about Emunah, Emunah is beyond the human understanding. Meaning that our minds are, are limited. Our minds are Mugbal with Zman and Mokka. And we are, how much do we know already? How much is the human mind able to comprehend? We think we're very smart. We think we're very worldly. We think that we have, you know, uh, a broad, a broad base of knowledge and, and, and intellect. And maybe we're pretty smart. But klape the rabbanishleilam, klape the bayreilam. And as far as us trying to understand, to get a glimpse of what the rabbanishleilam truly is, it's so beyond our capacity. That it's not shayach. That is not possible for us to be expected to know exactly the mitzvahs of the rabbi Shalom. That's simply impossible. Meaning, you can't. You simply just, you just can't. If a person is blind, there's just so much that he could see. He can't see beyond a certain point. It's not possible. He might want to, but he can't. And so, we are blind also to many, many things of the rabbi Shalom, about the rabbi Shalom. What we can know 
the proof about the herring. If that's if that works for us and that gives us a basic foundation of Yudia, fine. But everything beyond that, what is the Rabbi Shalom? How is Imanik the Bria? All the various issues that come up in terms of Tzadik Viralei, Rosh exactly the way that he's Imanik the Bria. Why is it that things are so hard for me? Can he make it easier for me? Why, why are my tefillahs not? All of these questions, and these are good questions, we might not have answers to them. That's where Amuna kicks in. Amuna is to believe beyond our ability to believe. Beyond our ability to understand and to comprehend and to absorb things, after that, above and beyond that point, that mark, that's all the mitzvah of emuna. Emuna is to believe where we can't know. Beyond that point that we don't know anymore, that's the point that Yediyah ends and emuna begins. That's the way Reb Chaim explained it to his son, to the Briskarav, who explained it to Reb Shach. So it's a very basic yisait, I believe, that we have to know just um, how to understand the muna. There is yidiyah, there is yidiyah, and that's what the basic understanding of the Rabbi Shalom, but then beyond that, that's already begedar emunah. We believe what we don't understand, but we understand a little bit. We understand the basics, but beyond that begins emunah. I found a very, very similar concept from the Altaf and Sabatka in a Sefer Arat Safun. The Altaf and Sabatka says very basic, very similar to Reb Chaim, but when discussing on this parsha Avram Avinu and the way Avram Avinu developed into a Maimon. If, left, if we could just see the Rambam a little bit, the famous Rambam in the beginning of Hilchas Avedis Kaychavim Bechukaysayim. The Rambam says about how the world began to forget about the Rabbi Nishlael and how they began to be We're not going to go into that right now. But then he be, were introduced to Avram Avinu, the Amud HaShalayim, as the Rambam calls it. And he started thinking in the world around him. He was surrounded by people that were idol worshippers. And he started scratching his head. And he said, doesn't make sense. Something doesn't sit right. He was pondering day and night. How is it possible that all the orbits, all the galaxies are going constantly without end? And there's nobody that's directing it. It's just it's random. It's just everything is just happening perfectly in sync without any person actually controlling it. Umi Yisavi say, who's the conductor over here? Who's the engineer? Ki after she Yisavis Atzma, it's not possible, it's not going on its own. Vila Yihayolai Malamed, Avram Avinu had no Rebbe in this regard, yet his father was an Avid Avidizara, he had no Rebbe, no one to teach him the basics. Vila Maitiya Dabar, Elam Mushkaber, cast him, he was immersed in Orkastim, in the culture of Orkastim, Benavdei Kechavim, Hatipshim, the Imai, his parents, V'chala'am, Oivdei Kechavim, they were all idol worshippers, every single person around him, he had every excuse in the world just to drink the Kool-Aid and continue being influenced by the culture around him who believed that there was no God in the world and everything was Avaydezara, all the powers lied with idols. So, but then what he did was, 
His mind was working furiously, feverishly, until he was able to have that light bulb go off and open on top of his head. And he was able to understand and to chap from his proper tzvuna. He was able to all of a sudden have that moment that he was able to really strike the truth. There is one God in the world, he is the one that must be controlling all the orbits. He created everything. There is no one else in the world except for him. He realized that everyone was making a terrible, grave mistake. He understood what their mistake was. And then the Rambam says that he was 40 years old when he began to be makiris bayrei. The Ravid argues over here. The Ravid says, I don't understand. I thought the Medrash says he was three years old. And the Kesem Mishnah is, Machriya, he says that he was three years old when he began to ponder these things, but he only really was able to be Makir the Bayre some, some 37 years later. It took Avraham Avinu 37 years to work all these things out until he finally had the idea clear. He was able to be Makir the Emes when he was 40 years old. And then once he was Makir it, then he started answering people in Orkastim, and he was able to debate with them. He broke Tzlamim. He broke the Avedizaris, like we know. And he con- tried to convince people that it's foolish to, to worship these, these idols. And then he started spreading the word around. He started preaching this to the whole masses, to the world. And Basically, that was the evolution, if you'll... Pardon the, the very bad use of, uh, of language. That was the way Avraham Avinu's Yidiya evolved and until he spread this Yidiya to the whole world. And so the Altafan Slabotka just says something very simple and beautiful. He says, we see from here the Rambam, all of these lines of the Rambam, the Rambam spends describing how Avraham Avinu was able to develop his belief system. This wasn't Amuna. This was Yediya. This was being Makir, the Bayre. This was not Stam, you know, I'll believe, I don't understand, but I believe. No, no, no. He was working out the idea that there can't be an Olam without a Manig. There must be a Baal Habira, as the Medrash puts it. There has to be an owner. There has to be a Baal in the world. And the, the Gilgulim, all the orbits can't exist by themselves. They can't be going around spinning just stomped by Mother Nature. There has to be somebody that's manig everything. A being, rather, that's manig the world. And so this is all Yediyah. The Ram is talking about Yediyah so This is not Amuna. But yet the Pasuk that we spoke about at the beginning today says, and this is much later, when Avram Avinu appeared to Avram and promised him that he'll have children and there'll be, there'll be very many children in the world from Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu believed in Hashem and HaKadosh Baruch appreciated that belief. What does it mean believed? I thought he was Makir Espairai. He was Makir, there was the idea. So the author says, Basically the same you say it as Reb Chaim, but using Avram Avinu as the ultimate example. 
that there is Yediyah and there is Amuna. And as great as the level of Avram Avinu's Yediyah was, Avram Avinu, a brilliant person, we don't know what Avram Avinu's mind was. And he was Makir Espire when he was 40 years old. After all of these calculations, he figured it out and he said, there must be a Bayer Eilam. And he had Yediyah Bechush in the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. Yet there is still an Indian of Vehem in Ba'ashem. There is still a role of Emunah. Beyond Yediyah, there is still what to be Maimon. As much as we might think that we are convinced and know for sure that there is a Rabbeinu Shalaylam and there is a Rabbeinu Shalaylam, but yet there is still a place for Amuna. Amuna is beyond Yudia. Whatever we don't know, whatever we don't know yet, or that is we're not privy to knowing, that is Tali and Amuna. That's something which is which is Amuna. That's a different mitzvah. That's a mitzvah of being Maimon, what we can't see, what we can't feel, what we can't know, we believe in. That's where belief starts. But up until that point, there is the idea, there is an, there is an ability for a person to really know bechush that there is a rabbi Shalom in the world. But beyond what we could possibly understand and sense, there is where the amuna begins. Here's where the tricky part begins. So far we're on pretty safe ground. All I did was really quote Reb Chaim and Shtaltsu, an Altaf and Sabatka, so we're pretty safe so far. And here is where the third rail of this shmuz is, the, the dangerous part of, the, uh, 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 of, of how to bring it home a little bit more Lamaisa. And what I mean is that there is a machlekes rishainim about how much a person should be chayker v'dayrish into these matters. What we've spoken about until now, this yediyah that Rav Shach said, the, the mashal with the heron, that's not philosophy, that's not major, that's very basic elementary yediyah. That's basically, that's, that's davar pashut and muskam, basically if a person's a thinking individual, he'll basically agree that anyone that speaks about anything other than being a Balbira, at least in Rav Shach's mind. If a person would say, you know, that how did the world come to be? There's no Balabira, there's no Balabayas, but everything was just happenstance, everything was random, there was an explosion one day, and, and from that came evolution, and things evolved, and, and, and molecules, and, and all of these things, and the world just happened to, 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 to be in such a way that the earth and the sun are just perfect amount of distance from one another and that a little bit too far if the earth would be a little bit further from the sun we'd freeze to death a little close to the sun we'd burn up and that we're human beings animals everything is working perfectly and a guy tells you evolution big bang theory all of these things Rav Shach and Rav Shach's mind such a person would be a complete Meshuggah complete, complete you're crazy please stay away from me you make no sense and it doesn't it just does not it's not rational what you're saying they say that people that believe in evolution, I, I don't know who said this, but it's a famous part, that you, if you really understand, if you've studied evolution, and a person that's intellectually honest, it's take, you have to be a much bigger maimon to believe in evolution than you do to believe in God. It's so much easier just to believe that there's a Bari Island that's manic than to believe all of the all of the, the permutations that you'll have to, all the steps that you'll have to assume to be true in the course of, uh, of, of following Darwinism, 
it's and, and, and Big Bang, it doesn't you have to be a much bigger mind and the terrorists are why are people, why does most of the world believe in it? The answer is because it's they don't want to believe in a Rabbi Shalom. Because if you believe in a Rabbi Shalom, that come that you have a price to pay with that. That comes with a very uh, heavy price at a heavy cost. Because now I have to have a conscience. Now I can't follow my tithes. I have a, I have I have there's 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 if there's a being in the world that's watching me that makes me uncomfortable, makes me nervous. So basically, a person would much rather be a maimon in, in, in a far-fetched theory than to believe in the basics of Yiddishkeit, of, of, of Amun Apshuta and the Rebani But people believe in other things. And so, in Rav Shach's mind, that is complete tipshus. It's mamish, it's, it's mishagas to believe in anything else. But how we achieve this madrega, if we want to get on a madrega of Amunah, so now we're faced with two basic approaches. If we want to, if we want to really immerse ourselves in Amuna, we could either do it with something called Amuna Pshuta and say like this: I'm not so smart. I'm not a big philosophy major. I don't know all of all all of the all the big philosophy books and all that Aristotle said and that Plato said and Mahavdalalafavdalas what the Rambam says. And the uh, and 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 Rosadragaim and all of the big philosophers, the Avin Ezra. I'm not so smart. I don't I don't understand. My mind can't handle these things. I don't know. It's too complicated for me. The reason why I am a Maimon is because I have a Muna Shuta. I have Messiah from my father. That my father told me that there's a Rabbi Shalom in the world. My Rabbeim told me there's a Rabbi Shalom in the world. They got it from their fathers and from their Rabbeim. At Saif Kaladiris up until since Matantaira, one dar after another dar. That's the basis of my Amuna. It's a very simple, very pure, very, very, very Amuna Pshuta. Amuna Pshuta, it's simple, it's pure, it's basic, but it works for me. That's my way of understanding the Rabbi Nisham. Not because I'm a Darish Vachaiker, all of these philosophical questions, all these heavy questions. That's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is, no, I'm going to, let's be honest, let's be intellectual and let's open up all the books, let's take all the philosophy works and really churn it, work it out, let's make a whole chachmat, a whole lumdus, and let's see what, let's see what, 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 what's that say, let's see what Aristotle says, let's see what Plato, let's see what all the big, the big darshim chaykrim say, let's see what all the current mask, let's surf the web and look at everyone's blogs and let's, 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 let's be intellectually honest and try to really come up with something that we can have. If I'm gonna believe, I wanna believe on the basis of something that's real. I don't wanna believe in some flimsy, you know, you know, very, very, very basic, uh, we're smart people. Let's sit and let, let, let's get it all out in the, in the open. So as far as this is concerned, there is a machlekas rishayim about exactly what the best approach is. I don't want to say which rishayim say what because it's it's not really nageya. But there is basically every shita. There's three shitas whether or not you should really work on the chakiras and then have emuna, and that should be your emuna. Or you should not work on the chakiris at all and just have a munapshuta, and that's, that should be enough. Or maybe you should start with the idea and then switch, and then, and as once you're at a certain level, then you should be makabalit from your, from your, from, from the Messiah, but like a combination. I'm going to cut to the chase. And I'm going to tell you what the Chavitz Chaim told his son. The Chavitz Chaim told his son, don't 
open up any books of philosophy. I don't want you at all exposing yourself to the world of philosophy. All of these chaykrim and darshim are not your, it's not negayu, you don't need it. Live with the Rabbi Shalom with an Amuna Pshutu. You have the basic idea, like Rav Shach said. Beyond that is Amuna, that there is a Rabbi Shalom in the world. He's very manic, he controls everything, and everything has a reason and a rhyme. And that should be enough for you. This, his son brought home once a Mary Nebuchim. The Rambam's Mary Nebuchim. And the Chavitz Chaim hid it. He only found many years later, by chance, where his father hid it. But basically his father did not want him exposed, even to the Rambam's Marinabuchim, because he felt it was dangerous, it wasn't necessary. The reason why we are Maminim is because we are Maminim B'nai Maminim. We believe because we have a Messiah to believe. Our fathers taught, acted this way, and we act like that. Like the Ramban says, If our fathers taught us something, they would never give us over a lie. And if Matantaira happened and that was transmitted to, to the, each generation after that, that's good enough for me. I don't need to go into philosophy and try to work it out. Philosophy is nothing but dangerous because we don't need it, so why expose ourselves to it? It's just going to confuse us. We're not able to necessarily comprehend and, 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 and calculate and churn all of the knowledge and be able to come out with a greater emunah, chances are that we'll come out with a lesser emunah at the end. Because we've exposed ourselves, we've opened up our mind to different possibilities, different options, that's going to stare our emunah. And there is nothing more valuable than emunah pshuto. That's the Chavitz Chaim sheet. I want to tell you a story. I had a roommate, a similar story to the Chavitz Chaim that we just said about the Maranabucham that he hid. I had a roommate in yeshiva who was a great grandson of the Chavitz Chaim. And his father was a grandson of the Chavitz Chaim and his, and his grandmother was the daughter of the Chavitz Chaim. So my roommate told me the following story. I've never seen it anywhere else in print. So this is a very valuable story, at least to me, and it should be to you also because it's something that you don't hear every day. His father, my roommate's father, grandson of the Chavitz Chaim, brought home one day, this is after the Chavitz Chaim was Nifter, and I think they were living in America at the time, or possibly in Eretz Yisrael, but the Chavitz Chaim, so, so this, the grandson of the Chavitz Chaim brought home into the house um, a copy of the beer. What's the beer? The beer is Moses Mendelssohn's um, Pirush on Tyra. He has its, uh, I think it's five volumes, a massive work. Very, very, uh, you know, at the time it was quite popular. Um, and he has a, he has a Pirush on, on Kala Tarakula. He wrote a Pirush on, on the Chamisha Chamshe Tyra. And so, understandably, you know, if you're a Yeshiva Bachar and you wanna, you know, you're, you're interested in these things, so you want to see what, let's see, let's sit down and see what Moses Mendelssohn's Pirush on the Tyra was all about. It's interesting, instead of looking at a different, I want to look at this Pirush on the So, but he knew that his mother would be very upset if she sees Moses Mendelssohn's beer in, in the house. So at night before he went to sleep, he took the beer and he hid it on a svarim shank behind some svarim. And he was going to take it the next day back to yeshiva. The next morning he comes home from davening and his mother, the daughter of the Chavitz Chaim, looked terrible. He says, Mama, what's wrong? 
She says, last night I had the worst dream of my life. I'm going crazy from it. I said, what's the dream? What, what would happen? She said, the Tata came to me. My father came to me. and he was, I saw my father in the dream. And he was here in the living room. And the Chavetz Chaim was, of course, very short. And he took like a little step stool, a little chair, and he put it by the Svarm Shrank, and he was reaching behind the Svarm Shrank. He says, where is it? Where is it? We have to get it out of the house. He said, I don't know what's in the house. I don't know what, what, what the Tata had a problem with. He said, what was he so upset about? I, I don't know. So I don't think the boy told her what it was, but as soon as he was able to get it out of the house, he got it out of the house. The point is that we have to be very careful what we're exposing ourselves to. Don't think, well, you know, that's intellectual blindness. All you're doing is you're, you're basically Amish. You're living in the old... It doesn't make sense anymore. You're, you're, you're cutting yourself off from the mainstream of civilization if it's, if it's true. So let the best man win. Let's speak about it. Let's have a whole vikuach about it. They did that in the olden days. The Chavitz Chaim says, Avraham Avinu did that. Because he was Mechadish the Amuna, he had to do it. He had to be Chayker Vederish. Because he was the first, for everyone in the world believed in Avay Dezara. Avraham Avinu needed to go through all of these steps in order to get to arrive at the conclusion that there was a Rabbi Shalom. Because he needed to do that. He was the first being in the world at that stage in history that was even thinking about these things. So until his Amunah started, he needed to be Chayker Vedayosh. That's understandable. The Rambam, he says, when the Rambam wrote Mar Nebuchim, he wrote it just because there were Nebuchim, there were people that were perplexed and confused at that time in history, and they needed, they were getting very shvach in their Amunah, and they were starting to not believe so much. So he had to prove, not because he felt that it was important himself to come to arrive at Amunah through philosophy, but only because in order to prove it to people, sometimes you have to go and spell it out step by step in a logical way. He says, but for us to actually engage in philosophy and to arrive at our amunah through philosophy, he says, is not the derech. It's not the mahalach. It might have worked for Avraham Avinu because he had a reason. It worked for the Ramam, but not for, because he had a reason to do it. But for us, it's not our place. And it's dangerous, he says, to be able to open up and expose ourselves to all of the, the, all of the philosophy in the world and all the different approaches and all the different, the different hypotheses, etc. All of these things are going to do nothing more than, generally speaking, shvach in our amuna. To make it stronger, so in fact, your shach used to even be against the, uh, the, the you know the, the discovery, Eishat Torah's discovery, you know, with the Torah codes that you're able to, you know, they're they're able to find patterns in the Torah that spell out certain things. That it's it's amazing. Rav Shach held that it wasn't good. Why wasn't it good? What's wrong with it? He says it's a dangerous thing. What do you need? What do you need it for? Be just believe in God without the proofs. If let's say, and today I think you can buy in stores, you know, the Torah codes, and anyone can type in their name and look for their name. And let's say you find, uh, you know, uh, let's say you find uh, somebody bad in the Torah in a certain parish. So you're gonna you're gonna be able to then make a whole religion out of that. Once you start down the slippery slope of using other things, using these, these tricks, these, these philosophical things, or these gimmicks, then you're opening up a Pandora's box, and it's not going to necessarily lead you in the direction that you need to be led. All you have to do is know instinctively that there is a Rabbi Shalom in the world with a Munah with simple, pure faith, 
And people that knew the Chavitz Chaim said that when you'd go into the Chavitz Chaim and you'd speak to him about Amuna, you came out feeling so clear in your Amuna because the Chavitz Chaim lived with it. For the Chavitz Chaim wasn't a Chachma, it wasn't technical, it wasn't complicated, it wasn't lavish, it was basic, it was like the air that he breathed. That's how Amuna is and that's how Amuna is supposed to be. the Chassid Yaivitz who lived in the time of the Spanish Inquisition he would say that people that were Meiser Nefesh Al-Kiddush Hashem when the, when the Spanish were saying either convert or we'll burn you at the, at the stake the people that converted he says were for the most part no, let's start over. It says the people that were philosophers, the big chaykrim, the, the big darshim, the big, the big people that were always involved in these in Spain and at the time it was very in vogue, I guess, to be a philosopher was like the golden age of philosophy and everyone was very involved in that. The people that were the big philosophers, generally, you know what they did? They philosophized themselves out of Yiddishkeit at the, at, when, when, when push came to shove and they, and they converted to, to Christianity. He says, only the Pshuteam, the people that weren't into the philosophy, the people that were just simple, they, were, they had a Muna Pshuta, they believed in the Rebbein Shalom, not because of their Chachma, but rather because this was the Kabbalah, this was the Messiah that they got from their parents, and nothing else. They were the ones that were, most of the time, the ones that were Meisir and Efesh, they were the ones that threw themselves. People that are too much into philosophy, that means that your whole belief system is built on on, on proofs and on theorems. And that's all wonderful when everything is working in your direction, when it's all, when all of the things are working out for you. But if something happens and, you know, now there's a gun to my head, so, nope, so, uh, maybe this theorem wasn't so right, maybe I didn't cheshmanize everything perfectly, so maybe it's not true. If it's all totally in our calculations, so, you know, we're limited, our calculations are limited, our understanding is limited, and so it's a, it's so, so we could very easily come to throwing everything away, and many people do, because they're so taken and smitten by this, by, by all of the, the chachma that they find in books and in, and, and from certain professors and from, and on the internet, and they spend a lot of time looking at it and scratching at it and saying, no, maybe it's Taka not so crazy what he's saying. Maybe Khalila, you know, this that I always thought was true is not so true. And this is a very, very extremely, extremely toxic and dangerous precedent to start setting. To start engaging in this type of, of interest is very, very dangerous to one's Amuna. Amuna has to be simple and pure. And in past eras, if they did it, then they had a cheshpen. But nowadays, we have to live with Amuna based on Kabbalah and based on Messiah and simple, basic belief in the Rabbani Shalom, as simple as it could be. There was somebody by the name of Reb Label Kovner. Reb Label Kovner was the, he was the Rav in Kovner. Kovner was, of course, a major city of Tyra throughout the Dairis. More recently, you have Reb Yitzchel Khan Inspector was the Rav in Kovner. The Dvar Avraham was the Rav in Kovner. Tremendous Gedailim in Kovner. So Reb Label Kovner was the father of Reb Rafal Shapiro. Reb Rafal Shapiro is perhaps best known for being the father-in-law of Reb Chaim Brisker. So anyway, this, so this is Reb Rafal Shapiro's father 
um, was Reb Leibola, the Rav of Kavna. And he got the job in Kavna, he got the position of being the Rav in Kavna. It's a long story how he got the job. We don't have time to talk about it right now. But basically, he got the Shtel in Kavna at his opening address to the community of Kav- in Kavna. Before he started, there was a maskil. Maskilim, the enlightened Jews that were always a thorn in the side of the, of, of, of Teredika, Yiddishkeit in Europe over the past, uh, you know, before the war for, uh, you know, since basically Moses Mendelssohn. So basically, the Haskalah was very strong. And a maskil came up to the Rav in front of the whole, the whole shul and the whole new congregation, the new Kehillah that he had. And he said, I would like to ask the Rav a question. The new Rav, you know, the Mechilas I want to ask the Rav, he says, okay, what's your question? He says, I want you to prove to me that there's a Rabbi Yisholem in the world. Prove it to me. Prove to me that there's an Abishter. That's what the maskil asked of Leibola Kavner. So Blavel comes and says, fine, I'll prove it to you. He says, bring me a Rambam. Brings him a Rambam. He says, which Rambam? He says, Hilchas Avedis Hilchas So he brings him a Rambam, Hilchas the beginning of uh, the basic, the beginning, the first Rambam, Yad HaChazaka. And it starts, like we said before, Yisait HaYisaitis, Ramad HaChachmais, the Yisait HaYisaitis, the most basic fundamental truth, which is the Rashi Tevis of the first four letters of the Rambam's Yad HaChazaka, is Yud Kei Vav Kei. Yisait HaYisaitis, Ramad HaChachmais, Leda, to know, Sheyesham Matsui Rishain, that there is a being that always was, Vum Mamsi Kol Nimsa, he is the one that was Mamsi, everything that's in the world, Everything that exists, exists because of him. That's what the Ramam says. So Abel Akavna looks at the masculine and he says, the Ravid normally argues with the Ramam whenever there's a problem. He says, there's no Ravid on this halacha. He says, and if you look in all the nice Kalim on this halacha, the Kesed Mishnah doesn't take issue with the Rambam. The Magid Mishnah doesn't take care of the Mishnah, uh, take issue with the Rambam. The Mishnah Melech, no one's arguing with the Rambam. This, says Reb Leib Lakovna, is the Raya that I have, that the Rabbani Shalom is in the world, and he's the Bayer Manik. You want the biggest Raya that there's a Rabbani Shalom in the world? The first Rambam in Hilchas, Yisai the Atayra, proves it definitively. The Rambam says that there's a, there's a Rabbani Shalom in the world, and the Raya doesn't take issue. None of them, I say, Kalem bring any Raya against the Rambam. That's why I believe in a Rabbani Shalom. That is the Yisai the Yisaitis. The Yisai the Yisaitis says, we have to stop trying to be that smart. And as, as, as primitive as I might sound, you know, that, well, you know, that sounds very, very, you know, you sound like you're, you're afraid of something. You're hiding. Let, let, what, what are you afraid of? Not afraid of anything. And Muna does not have to be built on my intellect. If I build a Muna on my intellect, it's Ochenbe. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be a disaster. Because intellect comes, intellect goes. Every year there's a new theory, there's a new hypothesis, new books coming out, new, new Big Bang theories, new theories of evolution, new, new, uh, for it, riots against it. If I'm going to always expose my belief system on the basis of, of what, what the new zeitgeist is in the world, then we're going to be left with basically no emuna, no yidiyah, no nothing. The way that we have to believe is like this. There's a Rambam, there's a Tyra, there's Rabbeim, there's an Avi Ezri, there's a Chavitz Chaim. 
Kedailam tell me that there's a Rebbein in the world, that's money in the bank for me. That's why I believe. I believe because I basically have a basic idea, and beyond that my Amuna is because I have Amuna that there is a Rebbein that my parents taught me about the Rebbein and I trust them. They heard it from their parents all the way back to Maimon Arsina when they saw the Rebbein that I am There's no other God in the world, there is just the Rebbein and that's it. That is our Yisaid HaYisaidis, the Amr HaChachmes. That's all it is. More than that, more being chayrish, leave that to the, to the Ramam to do. Leave that to Avram Avinu. Now that we have Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu was the first person in the world that started our Amunah as we know it. And we have a Messiah to Yitzchak as the Ramam continues, and to Yaakov, and to the Shifteka, and to Klai Yisrael up until today. Our Amunah is based on the belief that Avram Avinu founded and who spread, spread it to the world and who transmitted it midar ladar until today. That's why we believe. That's why we believe. And anything more complicated than that is going to be nothing but a dangerous, slippery slope. That is what we should take from these parshas, the Hamin Ba'ashem, the Amunah that we have as we learn about the Avis HaKadoshim, as we learn about Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov, well, we're supposed to, we, these are our role models. These are people that were malachim. These were people that were beyond human comprehension. If they were able to be maimon in the Rabbeinu Shalaylam, then we are no smarter than they are. We are able to also be maimon in the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. We hold our parents' hands who held their parents' hands throughout the diaries all the way up to Avram Avinu. And that is, as we walk firmly, and assuredly, down the path, the Derech HaTayra and the Derech HaChayim that we have, through our Messiah, Midar Ladar, through the Amuna that we have instilled and implanted in us from our, our parents and from our grandparents throughout the Dairis, that should be enough, that must be enough, for us to continue and to transmit this same Amuna, Midar Ladar, to our children, to our grandchildren, and Mitzah Hashem, Ladar Dairis. Have a good Shabbos. Thank <laughs> you.